This is episode number 1198 with Amy Cuddy. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome back, my friend. I have been wanting to have today's guest on for many, many years. And I'm so grateful that we got to spend some time together and she did not disappoint. Her name is Amy Cuddy. She is a social psychologist, award-winning Harvard lecturer, expert on the behavioral science of power, presence, and prejudice, and best-selling author of the book, Presence, Bringing Your Boldest Self to Your Biggest Challenges. In this episode, we dove in on what it means to have personal power and how to develop it, why it's important to overcome trauma from the past, how to stop being afraid of going after your dreams, the science behind body posture and power posing and how it can affect your confidence and so much more. This was so much fun for me. I hope you enjoy it. Please spread this message of greatness to your friends, to your family. You can text people, post it on social media. Make sure to tag me and Amy Cuddy as well if you're enjoying this. And let me know your feedback on this. I want to give a shout out to the fan of the week who left a review over on Apple Podcast. This is from Jen. And Jen said, I go to Lewis when I'm happy, sad, needing guidance, or to just learn in general. And I have haven't been this entertained properly until I met the podcast and his guests. He throws great questions out there and the people he brings on are the best of the best. I can always depend on him to help me grow. So Jen, thank you for being the fan of the week and sharing that. We're always looking to bring amazing, inspiring leaders of the world on this show to help us all grow, myself included. I'm here to learn just like you. And I'm so excited for today's guest. So in just a moment, I bring you the one and only Amy Cuddy. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness. Very excited about our guest. Amy Cuddy is in the house. It's so good to see you. Thank you. You too. We have uh, so many mutual friends. And as I'm getting to know you more, we have a lot of things in common, both former professional athletes. Uh, You both have family members who are at Berkeley School of Music. My brother was a professor there. He was a professor of of, of jazz. Cool. Taught jazz violin there. Your son is a student at Berkeley School of Music for the guitar. Um, Both love psychology and human behavior Mm -hmm. and uh, are both trying to make an impact on the world. So we we both had surgeries recently this year. That's true. And we both love roller skating. You do? Every Sunday growing up, my mom would take me and my siblings to the roller skating rink and I fell in love with it. We did it until I was probably like 13. Oh, I love the roller skating rink. Love roller skating. It's fun. Did you have like slow dance nights? Slow dance. They would always do a few songs. Yeah, going backwards was like the coolest thing to do when you were nine. You know, like, I, I know I'm older than you. It was like it was like Jesse's girl, like Rick Springfield. We had like right, the greatest eighties. Right. Yeah, songs. exactly, exactly. But I'm excited you're here, and you. Um, you have in the last, I guess, nine years when your TED talk came. I was it nine years ago, ten years ago, nine years ago, nine yeah. years ago. The second most watched TED talk of all time. It's third. It goes back and forth, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah it's third. You know, who's keeping score? But you know, 
Well, it's it's funny, I feel like I don't, like when people introduce me and they say second, I'm like, it's third. I just right. want to be accurate. And then the next month, it's first. Yeah, yeah. Who knows, right. Um, but it really, it's been a, a, a cultural phenomenon. I saw you in, um, mentioned in my favorite show, uh, Ted Lasso. Oh, God. I love that scene. Oh. You've been in Grey's Anatomy five different times. You've been in all these different shows <laughs> with references to your message and your work about really how to improve confidence because a lot of people are feeling insecure, they're feeling like imposters, they're feeling yeah. like they don't belong, which is a big part of your talk. And I think we were talking beforehand about how the last year and a half people have been more of a funk and they feel like they really don't belong and yes. they're not sure how to gain that confidence. Yep. I'm curious, what have you learned in the last year and a half about getting back to like just being a confident human being in the world? Not even like performing well, you know, in a just, sport or a business, but just like how do you just walk around with confidence? I think, um, well, I think that in in the first couple of months of the pandemic, people were in this phase that psychologists call the emergency phase mm -hmm. of a long-term crisis where, you know, adrenaline's pumping basically and you, you, the threat is concrete and people have shared goals and they're really working well. It's sort of like um, in a war, it would be like the right. first battle. Yeah. And so, there, people study combat soldiers and find that like in, during battles, they perform really well because mm. they're on the same page. That's the threat. This is what we're doing. Teams work well. Good leaders are great leaders. But so that's how people were for the first couple months. They're like, I can do this. <laughs> and then you deplete what psychologists call surge capacity, mm -hmm. which is this sort of network that keeps us going during acute threats. Right. And so we depleted that. And then we all sort of went into this regression phase or, you know, I mean, at different times, but it, it had a lot to do with the depleted nervous system, mm -hmm. but also just the lack of control. We just, we lost control of our lives. I mean, right. there were external forces yeah. that we couldn't control. And that lack of real power, I think, translated into a lack of the feeling of power, mm. of this more internal sense of agency and power. And so people, you know, really started kind of shutting down. Mm -hmm. um, so I, for me, I think as we kind of reemerge, and it's not going to be like, this is the end day, let's go celebrate in the streets. We know it's not gonna, it's this, we're in this constant flux right now, which is also draining. Yeah. But as the only way we're going to reemerge is if we regain that sense of personal power. I mean, people have to feel that they have the ability to make change in their lives, to, to do things. I know it seems so simple, but, you know, we talk a lot about well-being and we're usually talking about happiness and, you know, good physical health, health and lack of stress. Right? That's that's like high well-being mm -hmm. but i think another component that's really important is this feeling of power and i don't mean power, power over others personal power personal right power. not power over others not zero sum power mm -hmm. but just personal power how do we get to what does that even look like what um, is what is personal power and it, how do we start to build it it i think you know it is the feeling that you are entitled to bring your you know, your best self mm -hmm. to challenging situations. But that also involves knowing who your best self is. And that's difficult too. But it's, it's <laughs> like, so it's, it's, it, I think often we don't even feel that we sort of deserve to, to be there. Mm. And so we can't fully show up. So personal power is, is the feeling um, 
of sort of being in control of our internal resources, our, to, to bring our skills and abilities forward, to be the most sort of generous, open-minded version of ourselves. That's, that's personal power. But if we, don't have, if we don't believe that we are deserving to have power, um, how do we get there? How do we change the belief well, to deserve it and then start to have that? I, I mean, and let me say first, I don't think personal power does, is not a substitute for skills and, and knowledge. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that sometimes people mishear me when I talk about this topic and think that I'm saying you can just, you know, you can just fake it. You can't. Like, for me, personal power is, is, is about it is about revealing the skills that you already have. Mm. But it also gives you, it gives you more yeah. bandwidth to build more skills, right? So it's self-reinforcing as well. Because there's a lot of people that already have developed skills, but they don't believe that they're deserving or they don't know how to effectively communicate those skills. Right. Interesting. That's right. There's so many people that I've um, heard from that say, They've had a dream for five, 10, 20 years, and they have the skills to do it, but they don't have the courage right. to put it out there. Yeah. So is personal power connected to courage as well? I think it absolutely is. And it's, it's you know, sometimes I say sometimes we have to get out of the way of ourselves so uh -huh. that we can be ourselves. Yes. <laughs> like we get in our own way. But, you know, I'm now writing about social bravery, Ooh. right? Not physical bravery, but social bravery, like standing up for people who are, who are being abused, who are mm -hmm. being mistreated, or you know, and, and it is hard, and it's harder in many ways than physical bravery. There's there's not a lot of glory that comes with it. You're risking, you know, being kicked out of the tribe. It, but think about it in terms of like bystander intervention, like the studies of you know when do bystanders intervene in mm -hmm. an emergency? Mm -hmm. The best predictor of of uh, adult adults intervening when another adult is being bullied online is sense of power, right? So yes, yeah, so when people feel powerful, they also feel more courageous. Right. And so I think, you know, that's, that, that, yes, I think these things are very, very similar. And I think that we are in a collective sense of powerlessness right now. Mm. And so I, I, I just think it's, it's everywhere. And people seem like agitated at each other. They turn on each other. We are turning on each other. I mean, you see, you see it at the sort of group level, but also at the individual level. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what happens when people feel so powerless. What is the thing that we should be thinking of first? Is it, let's focus on healing the wounds of our past that have made us feel powerless. Let's work on developing new skills to make us feel more confident and competent. Let's focus on knowledge. Uh, you I, know. don't, I don't, it's hard to say like what's first for, for it's it, it, idiosyncratic to the person. Yeah. So certainly for many people, you know, powerlessness comes from trauma. Right. And obviously, you know, there are, are different parts of the dealing with trauma process, but part, part of it obviously is understanding what happened and where that came from and that that's not who you were born as, mm -hmm. right? And that you are allowed to undo this, mm -hmm. right? Um, so there, there, is, there is that, and I don't want to neglect that, that people who are suffering from you know, post-traumatic stress, they have to be able to deal with that. What, what happens if we never undo or heal the traumas of the past, whether it be you know, little micro-traumas that just continue to build or bigger traumas, abuse, you know, 
accidents, you know, big breakups, things like loss. I mean, they, they just, they, they build on each other. It's sort yeah. of that simple. Like, I, you know, it's, you, you know, traumatic events, the, the idea of triggers, right, is, is that when, when something reminds you of that traumatic event, that sort of neural pathway gets activated and all of the feelings that went with that trauma that happened when you were 12 are now being activated when you're 40. Yeah. And they're not helpful to you now, right? Um, they make you more they, powerless. Right. They reactive. might have helped you to yeah. kind of survive when you were 12, but not now. So, um, you know, I, I think that we... It, <laughs> I'm, I'm sensitive about this because mm -hmm. people have just endured enormous trauma. Yes. And so I don't, some of it you just never get rid of, but, right. but, but not addressing it, I think only shuts us down more and, and probably um, makes it harder for us to know ourselves in many other, like we become afraid of ourselves. Mm. And that, that makes it, I think, harder for us to be a, you know, a good partner in a relationship, a good right. member of society, you know, to be somebody who's helping others. What do you think um, we can do to reveal ourselves to ourselves better so that we can fully accept who we are or what we've been through or had done to us or done to others or whatever it is, the shame and guilt we're holding on to so that we can have more personal power in an authentic uh, way moving forward in those relationships. Well, I think one, I mean, this is just a, a simple exercise. So there's um, there's a, this research on what we call self-affirmation. And I don't mean like in, I don't know if you remember the old Stuart Smalley skits on Saturday Night Live. Huh. He was like a motivational speaker and he'd say like, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, oh, I'm right, yeah. people like me. It was daily affirmations with Stuart Smalley, and uh -huh. by the end, he'd be in a shame spiral. Okay. <laughs> so he'd be trying to talk himself out of it by saying, I'm great, I'm great, I'm great. Right. That doesn't really work. If you don't believe it. Exactly. In fact, then you're just lying to yourself, and now you trust yourself even less. Mm. Right. So saying, I'm great, when you feel self-doubting, in a way, is the worst thing you can do. What's so, the best thing you can do? I, well, here's one of my favorite tasks. So actual, like the, the theory of self-affirmation in psychology is not about saying I'm great or, you know, I'm going to win this event, whatever. If I'm you the don't best. Feel that way. I, right. yeah. It is about affirming to yourself what your values are, who you really are, like what do you, what makes you, you. So the task is so simple, and there's so much research on this, that doing this simple task helps people perform better mm. in totally unrelated tasks. So the task is to first list the, the, maybe the top three things that you care most about, that really, that, that you, if, if I took them away, you would just no longer be yourself, mm. right? What would those be for you? Couple things. I have a kind of pathological optimism. Like I <laughs> think, I am upset when somebody does something that hurts someone else in a way that some people might think is naive, but I'm glad I feel that way. Mm. I, like, I'm, like, I, it, it, I am so hurt that people behave badly. Like I'm, 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 it, I'm troubled by it. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that I'm troubled by it because right. I'm gonna keep on trying to change that. 
um, I think it's a kind of earnestness that people find it irritating, but I'm totally okay with earnestness. And actually, this is one of the things that Amy Purdy and I have in common. Yeah. Like, she is like this, too. <laughs> you know, she's just, like, sad when people are mean. Yes. You know? She's got <laughs> such a great heart. Totally. But, but she does stuff. She's yeah. not just sitting there being sad. Right. Anyway, I would say that that is one of the things that makes me who I am. And if somebody said, you're just, you know... <laughs> You're, you're naive and, and you really can't move forward in life if you hold on to this belief that people can be good. I'd be like, well, then I'm no longer who I am, mm. right? So the task of self-affirmation is you list like three of these things and then you rank them. And, 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 you, know, and you may, may, may be only ranking them based on how you feel today, but then you take the top one you write a paragraph about why it matters to you, mm. and then you write another paragraph about a time when you were able to express that value, that that belief, and what it felt like to do that. That's that's it. That's self-affirmation. And so, you know, some people might say, you know, being you know being creative, like art, is important to me, or you know, helping people in my community, whatever it is. When people do that, they then are less anxious mm. in stressful situations. And they perform better. Yeah. So, for example, college students who do self-affirmation um, at the beginning of the semester perform better on their midterm exams, mm. and uh, you know have uh, lower uh, uh, lower levels of, of epinephrine really uh, than than students who don't do that task. Wow. So, self-affirmation is basically you shoring yourself up. And what happens is that when you go in to take, like, say, this calculus exam. You, you know that no matter what happens during that exam, you will still be you when you leave. Like no one's gonna, this, how you do on that calculus exam is not gonna change who you are. Interesting, your value exactly. of who you are. Exactly, I'm still gonna be this person who wants people to be nice to each other. So whether you win or get an A or get an F or you lose, right. either way you still have that value. Exactly, exactly. You're, you're affirming the value that you love about yourself. Right not related to the result or the exactly, outcome. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But if you said like, oh, I'm, I'm going to say that I love calculus, and then you, like, that would never work, right? Right, right. So it's about knowing who you are. You're not, you can't be great at everything, sorry. Mm -hmm. You can't be perfect at everything. Right. Um, you, and that's okay. Yeah. Right? You, you will still be, you, you are allowed to be you. Absolutely. It's interesting. It reminded me of a, I had Kobe Bryant on the show, and what? he mentioned that, um, earlier in his kind of basketball years, when he was a teenager, yeah. he, one summer, he was like playing at a basketball camp and he didn't score one point. Wow. And he was like 13 or 14, I can't remember exactly. But, and then four years later, he's in the NBA, right? So yeah. he was like 12 or 13, and he didn't score one point, and his dad, before he went to this kind of basketball camp, said, you know, whether you do well or not, I'm gonna love you. Like your results that really are not deep. determined based on like my love for you. Mm -hmm. So ha like I want you to do well, but just have fun and yep. get better. Just improve every day and work hard and your your value is not based on the results. Yeah. And he scored zero, but he felt like, okay, I just want to go back and keep playing because I love the game and I want to improve. That's amazing. Not because I'm looking for approval from my father. Wow. And I think it's uh, as friends, partners, parents, if we can continue to instill uh, that value of the person, not their results, then I think that it's gonna help people wanna get better results. Right. So without feeling like they're never good enough. Right. What, is, what do you think, like what would you list? So the thing of 
my values or the thing that I want to want to get rid of or what do you? No, sorry, no, your values. Like if you were doing self-affirmation, I mean, what would you feel like? What's the thing that, you know, makes you who you are? I think that I really care about people, like yeah. having a big heart. I yeah. really care about people. I want people to feel good about themselves. I want people to have the confidence and the courage to go after what they were uniquely built and designed for and okay. having, you know, the curiosity to explore what it could be. Yeah. For me, it's, you know, we were talking about this beforehand that it's, I wasn't the biggest, fastest, strongest, but I had dreams and I pursued them to as far as I could in sports. Yeah. And I have no regrets. Where there's a lot of guys that I knew that I played with were way more talented than me that didn't have the courage. Yeah. And I felt like, man, but you kind of wasted this potential. Yeah. Just like to see what could have happened. Whether you failed or not or succeeded doesn't matter for me. But it's what was I able to create in that process? Yeah. And I want the world to be able to do that for whatever it is for them. Whatever that dream is for them. It can be, it doesn't have to be some grandiose dream of being some top athlete, but whatever that is, you're unique in this world. Can you go and have the courage to figure out what that is? And it's scary. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host yeah so I, I care deeply about people overcoming those challenges i love that and and so but imagine how it would feel if somebody was like i'm taking that characteristic away from you like you no longer yeah. have that I would just be like, I don't know, right. egotistical. I don't but you know <laughs> that like, you, you would just, you would be a shell, right? Yeah, it'd be tough. And so you know that. So this is the, the great thing about self-affirmation is it's kind of the flip side. Well, I'm telling you that that's not, never going to be taken away from you. Right. Right. You can always be that person. Yeah. You will always have that value. And so that helps you then to be more present and mm -hmm. less anxious and to perform better in other situations. Why, why do you think people are so afraid of the the pressure of not performing well or failing or getting made fun of or embarrassed or laughed at or being told, said, I told you so, you, you shouldn't do this, you're not good. There's a lot of, like you kind of <laughs> answered the question in the question because they are afraid of being told. Yeah. That, like, they're afraid of not do, doing well because they're afraid of being ashamed, like of, of being ridiculed, of being, mm -hmm. they're, they're, I think it, like it's mostly about how others perceive them. Like mm -hmm. the fear of being rejected, the fear of being kicked out of the tribe, which is a terrible feeling, right? Like I mean, the, the, people are more afraid of that than they are of, you know, physical injury. Know. And it, it's, you know, it's sort of related to, what we were talking about before the camera started rolling, yes. which is that, you know, um, this idea of bumblers and pointers, yes. uh, which a psychologist named Dan Gilbert just casually talked about once on Twitter. He said there are two kinds of people, bumblers and pointers. The bumblers are the ones just try trying. Even if they don't do it well, they're trying. And the pointers are the ones making fun of the people who are trying. Mm -hmm. And so, and he said, I would rather be a bumbler. I would definitely rather be a bumbler than a pointer. But people are afraid of the pointers, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, the critics that aren't actually bumbling. Right, exactly. They're not only fumbling around they're, they're the world. They're not bumbling because they're not doing anything. Right. 
Um, Except for critiquing. Exactly. And I, I think that it doesn't divide quite as easily right, as that. Right, right. But, 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 you know, but why that's are we so afraid of. of pointers, people pointing at us when it's like, why in general? Are people so afraid of, like, it's two people or one person that's holding them back from a dream they've had for years? It's. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I can make an evolutionary argument that we're attuned to that kind of rejection because it, it, it would indicate that you're at risk of being kicked out of the tribe. And if you're kicked out of the tribe, then you can't, you, you can't support yourself. yourself right, exactly. But that's but, not true anymore in this world, right? No, right. So we still have like, you know, some sort of primitive responses that are no longer adaptive. And, you know, we're not like, for example, and I'm sort of moving away from the shame a bit to fear. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when we go into that fight, flee, or faint mode, that is adaptive if you're being chased by a tiger. But usually we're not being chased by a tiger. Getting pointed at by someone on the internet is exactly. not that scary. Right. I mean, psychologically the, it is. Well, it is. Physically and it, it's not. And the, I, at the same time, I, I don't want to dismiss the emotional right. damage of, of actual abuse and bullying. Yes. But, but, but criticism. Criticism. Yeah. Right. Um, is is not actually deadly, right? but it, our bodies, our, brain, our nervous systems feel like it's deadly. So what, is there a, a psychological um, strategy that you've seen or, or, or research that's shown how to actually practically overcome this? I mean, it, there are little, I'm very much about like the, the micro, like yeah. what are the little things that you can do? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a clinical psychologist, I'm a social psychologist, so I can't, I can't speak to therapy. Yeah, yeah. But I do think it's about the way we carry ourselves. Like realizing that how we carry ourselves, you know, like physically how we move, how do we interact mm. with people? Like how do we carry ourselves? That that shapes who we are. Physical body language. Physical mean. body language and in even just, you know, how we choose to interact with say, you know, someone who's who's serving us a drink at a restaurant you know do we choose to look them in the eye and say thank you and recognize Mm -hmm. them as human um or do we not have the time for that carrying ourselves in 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 a way that is you know sort of um both kind of powerful and also you know um with grace Mm -hmm. i think makes us more powerful yes and and makes us kinder people yeah Sorry, that I got onto a different sort of. Sure, but you're it, talking about the micro micro instances. Yeah. Um, on how to overcome this if we're if we're feeling like we've got something we want to put out in the world, but we're afraid of one or two pointers, critics, right. that aren't going to physically beat us up or kick us out of their lives. But how do we? So what's a, like something in we the can moment, do? Like, like if we like, let's take an actual, you know, I often ask people, what is your biggest challenge like Mm -hmm. what is the situation that you approach with dread Mm. and that you execute with anxiety and that you leave (laughs) with a sense of regret oh wow and so if you look at all of the so dread that is you projecting yourself into a future that's not gone well so you're borrowing trouble basically (laughs) Um, you know the anxiety in the moment is you thinking more about what the other person thinks of you than what they're actually just thinking. Uh-huh. You know, you're, you're worried about what you said a minute ago or what's gonna happen afterwards. You're not able to be in the present. And then regret is, or what we call post-event processing. You're going over it, wanting to do over, going, 
I didn't show, I wasn't seen, they didn't see who I am. Mm -hmm. You know that feeling like, oh, they didn't see who I am. Mm -hmm. And you want to go back in and like in a rom-com, you get to have a do-over. Right, right. But in, in life, <laughs> in sometimes life, you don't. don't. Yeah. Right. So that sense of regret becomes like a piece of baggage that you carry into the next similar situation. And, and you then know, you're worried because exactly. you don't want to you don't want to do the same thing. Exactly. So you put more pressure on yourself. What if we could, you know, approach with this sense of um, you know, composure and execute it with a kind of calm and grounded confidence yes. and leave feeling satisfied. Even if we don't get the outcome that we want, we know that we did everything we could to show up. They saw who, who I was and it wasn't the right fit or whatever. Right. Um, and I can accept that outcome. Mm -hmm. So you can both accept the outcome and not have that extra piece of baggage. I was watching a TikTok recently about... Um, a mom like asking her daughter to go and I can't remember, do something by herself in a store. And this was like an 18 or 20 year old. Yeah. I think she was going to like rent a car or buy a car or something like that. But she was an older, you know, teen or early 20s. And she was franticking. She was like, I cannot go in there alone. Will you mm -hmm. come in there and do this for me? Will you come help me? I can't do this alone. The sense of like, Social, social interactions online, but the inability to actually be in front of someone mm -hmm. and be rejected or looked at funny or learning how to navigate yeah. in-person social interactions. Do you feel like uh, people are going to be struggling with overcoming the, uh, these fears more because of the internet and social media? Or how can they continue to navigate <sighs> that, that fear of like the tribe yeah. in person, not I just mean, online? I don't even know where to begin. With the like, it's because there are also, I mean, first of all, like if I make any statement about where I stand on that, I'll, there will be a million people telling me I'm absolutely wrong. But, Got it. But, yes. but that's like, and, and the truth is, is complicated, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and, and in some ways, social media, like, so, you know, my son's on TikTok. Mm -hmm. And I can't believe the, the courage he has now to just put a video out there yeah. and you know sometimes it goes and sometimes he do it doesn't and he's not he's fine if it doesn't if it doesn't go if it doesn't move so i think that that's actually mm. been really good for him um it's he doesn't feel rejected he just feels like well sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but i'm never going to know if i don't put myself out there right so i think in some ways young people have become more courageous Mm. Um, at trying things. Right. I mean, you know, yes, I would like them to spend less time on it. <laughs> and I like that he's doing music. You know, he's, yeah. he's like putting out, my kid's doing quality content. Yeah, exactly, that, yeah. Um, no, but, but I think that in some ways it's actually given young people an opportunity to, to be braver. To express themselves Yeah, exactly. In and to, to sort of, to be rejected and see that they've survived. Right? Yes. But rejection, the rejection that I'm talking about is a video, a TikTok video not going viral. Mm -hmm. It's not that it's, na that, which is not the same as nasty comments, like being rejected and trolled. Right. That's right. a different kind of rejection, right? Mm -hmm. And that, yes. that's not Absolutely. Good. Yeah, yeah. What about the, just the, the anxiety of putting yourself out there, whether it be going into a store and just interacting with people, whether it be going, giving a speech online, putting up, you know, Something human interaction in person and feeling embarrassed or rejected or made fun of. Yeah. How do we learn to overcome that anxiety or stress about it? Is it, is it as simple as just you got to practice it and just I know that really, you're alive? I, I hate to it's say so, something so simple, but yes, like I am, I, I am just not afraid to embarrass myself. 
myself. That's good. And I, I have to sometimes like hold on to that, like because I think it's I think it was really important for my son to see that. Like to, that, to me, modeling that was really important. Not being embarrassed. Yeah, being like be you know making mistakes, being yes. goofy, like doing something goofy in the grocery store, and being like, okay with it. Yeah, another one is is it's being okay with like chatting with a stranger, mm-hmm. and maybe they don't want to chat, and that's fine. Then you move on. But like, right. why not try mm-hmm. those? I think doing those things. First of all, I think it's great to model that for kids, but I also think it's good to do it just to see that oh, you, you've survived. You're fine. Yeah. No it's one like cares. The world. Exactly. No one even cares. They're and not fact, remembering this for you, the rest of their you life. You might have made somebody smile. Right. Right. So. <laughs> I'm all about social, like creating social challenges for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like if you're terrified. Well, of, I think that's a good one. I, I mean, like chat with someone on, on the train or, and I know it's hard right now. Right, right. But, but do but, something consistently. Yeah. No. Or like ask someone, ask, you know, if you're, if you're a, I don't know why grocery stores seem like places where lots of <laughs> silly things can happen. Um, you know, if if someone's like checking out, checking you, what do you, the, checking you out, checking yeah. you out. But that sounds funny, yeah, checking yeah. you out. You know checking what I mean? Like your checking your out groceries, your groceries, yeah. and they they are looking down and they they seem you know grumpy. Instead of deciding they're not friendly, consider the possibility that they're having a bad day, mm-hmm. and and literally like pause and say. How are you? You know, or like try to connect with them without being intrusive. Make eye contact with them. Thank them. You know, make eye contact. Maybe they'll just be annoyed and not make eye contact right. back. But I feel like that kind of thing is really important to try. Right. Um, and those are things that are, create sort of social benefits for others as well. Absolutely. This is something you've been studying for, I guess, decades now, which is just mastering confidence, body language overcoming these challenges, what's been the biggest challenge for you in the last 10 years that you've had to overcome, knowing the research and practicing these things and talking about these things yourself, what's been the challenge for you, whether career or personal or? I think the challenge for me has been adjusting to, um, you know, being more well-known than the average academic, mm-hmm. right? Right, right, right. And, and actually, you know, leaving academia. You know, I still teach, but I'm not, you know, I'm not... Uh, Full-time. No. Yeah. You know, I teach in executive education at, at Harvard, but I'm not, I'm not a professor. You know, I'm, I'm a lecturer when mm-hmm. I lecture. <laughs> that leaving was hard. Really? So, I mean, it was a big, it was a big leap to say, to leave that security. Mm. Um, but it wasn't, it just was not the right world for me. But I, I think the biggest challenge really has been dealing with becoming higher, sort of having, becoming higher profile and the kind of backlash that I endured mm, as a result of that. Criticism. Which is not, yes. And well, yeah, I mean, criticism's fine, but bullying is not, right, you know. Right. And I know that this is common. Like this happens to, in fact, it happens to a lot of junior professors who give TED Talks. Really? Yeah. It's, it's funny. Somebody just wrote to me yesterday. She has a popular TED talk and she you know she said that at her university people started calling her TED girl and like sort of talking down to her even though it was a popular well-respected uh, well, TED talk because it was popular right like it's it's like if it had been 
if it had not really hit the Done. radar, it would have been okay. Really? But, but because she had like, some success. Yeah. So, so people had to sort of diminish her really? in a way. You know, and, and, and I experienced a lot of the same stuff. So what became hard for me was talking to colleagues, right? Like mm. standing up for myself. And, you, you, you know, the truth is we need to stand up for each other, right? Mm -hmm. When people are in a, an acute bullying situation, yeah. they really can't stand up for themselves. But I'm still figuring out how to engage with other people in academia who ne weren't necessarily bullies, but might have been bystanders who didn't do anything. And but but to be able to to say mm. I still deserve to be having this conversation, I I deserve to have the beliefs that I have. I deserve to defend, um, you know, this massive area of research on mm -hmm. body mind feedback of which you know, like I like I contribute a tiny bit to. Right. Just because these people don't like it doesn't mean I can't, you know, say well here's why I do believe it. Here's that's really hard for me. Yeah. That is the thing that I, I would approach with the most dread, I think. Were you able to implement and integrate some of your own practices and, and teachings when those things happened to you? When you were getting, whether it be criticism or bullying or you know, any of the stuff you were facing, were you able to actually integrate the, yeah. the body language for yourself? I and, mean, for me, the thing that works the best is, I mean, certainly I, you know, I do, like I walk expansively, like yes. I, I, you know, I, like long strides before this kind of stressful thing. I do. I won't sit, sit down with my hands in my lap. Right. Like even putting your hands behind your chair, like this is kind of opens you up a little. But bit. it yeah. forces you to yeah. open up just yeah. doing that. Um, but the thing that works the best for me is is, is breathing. And I know there mm. is so much on breath work now, and I don't want to, you know, I'm not an expert, but the relaxation response that's triggered by, by certain breathing patterns is incredibly effective for me. And you know, so basically it sends your nervous system into this rest and digest state, mm -hmm. which is the opposite of fight, flee, or faint. And, and so the one that I like best is called four, seven, eight breathing, and we can do it right now. Yes, do it. So, I'll, I'll, so basically for four counts, you inhale, uh -huh. for seven, you hold your breath, and uh -huh. for eight, you exhale. Okay. So I'm gonna count and you do it. Okay, four, okay. inhale. Seven, hold it, and eight, eight, exhale. Okay. All cool. right. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And you repeat That's that it. a few times? Three just times. Yeah. Like, at one time you feel it. Yeah. It it will put me to sleep at night. Yeah. You know, if I'm relaxed, it makes me sleepy. But if I'm anxious, it calms me down. Mm -hmm. So that just I, I mean, there's just so much research on on the relaxation response and breathing. Right. Um, and but what I think is interesting about it is that th that kind of breathing is expansive. Just like the, what I talk about, you know, like po expansive posture. That's expansive. You're breathing deeply and slowly. You're mm -hmm. taking up more temporal space. You're expanding your, you know, like your physical body more. And when we expand, we tend to feel more confident, more powerful, yeah. more calm. Should we always, not always, should we be frequently be in an expansive postural state well, when we're, you know, kind of nine to five-ish out in the world doing our activities? What we should be in is is a, is having good neutral post posture. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, before stressful events, you know, 
that's when I say find a private space. I, I think I said in the TED talk, find a bathroom stall. Right. Which I, I honestly think just like I thought of at the moment, but I can't tell you how many emails I get from people who are like, I was, I was in a bathroom. bathroom. <laughs> you know, or, or like people who see somebody in a bathroom with their arms up in the other, like, yeah. are you power posing? In <laughs> I think <laughs> Ted Lasso is saying she goes to the bathroom and does oh, that, right? I know. I loved it so it's much. Okay. You can't imagine. Like, I love that show, and it's I had a, no idea. You had no idea it was coming. I just, I was like sobbing. I oh was my. like, oh my well, God. What's so cool that you, Brene Brown, and Esther Perel, yep. who I've had both of them on as well, were all featured in there. And I'm just like, that's amazing. I know. I And I think all of us were absolutely like, this beyond is cool. thrilled. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, to have that. And I, I, I know I, I was telling Brene this, but the first time I saw that show, I... I, at the end of the first episode, I turned to my husband and I said, I love Ted Lasso. It's and he so goes, good. that's because you are Ted Lasso. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, well, I guess I had good self-esteem then. But, but I, I am Ted Lasso. Yeah. And so are you. Yes, exactly. Right? You yeah. Are. It's, yeah, kind of, yeah. it's funny because Brene says that she's Roy Kent. Yeah, I can see. She's yeah, Roy I can Kent. See <laughs> you can see a little bit. But, uh, but anyway, yeah. The, the, so before these stressful situations, the ones that you approach with dread, that's when you find some space and really make yourself big. Expansive. Like whatever yeah. feels comfortable to you, expand. You know, in front of other people, it comes across as really aggressive yeah. and domineering and off-putting. But if you're in, you know, the privacy of your own bathroom stall or office or whatever, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to mm -hmm. worry about cultural norms or, or you know, putting people off. Mm -hmm. In your, our everyday lives, we spend so much time like this, you know, yeah, like with our phones. Over, yeah. And that is really bad. At first, it's bad for us, just our posture, and it's creating this sort of fixed thoracic stoop. Yeah. But, you know, physiotherapists used to only see in, like, elderly people. Mm -hmm. And now they're seeing it in, like, 15-year-old boys um, from, you know, gaming and right. things like that. And that's something, like, you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to sit up straight. You have to, like, work that For out. For years working it exactly. out. Yeah, and align your body. Yeah. Totally. But so it's 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 not only hurting our posture, but I, it, it, I, I believe that it is affecting our mood. Mm. And so, you know, find, you know, even just set up your workspace so that you can be more expansive. Yes. Um, but you know, we neglect our body language when it's when we're alone because it's language. Mm. And if we're alone, we're not talking to anyone. We're talking to ourselves. But we're though. talking to ourselves. Right. So it's really important, I think, for us to be minding our posture. Also, the, there have been a couple of meta analyses recently, which basically are just, you know, studies that look at, at all of the studies on a topic and, and come up with a sort of an average effect size. Like they say, yes, this is effective. This, this is a real effect. Um, and this is how big the effect is, right? So studies that have looked at power, meta-analyses of power-opposing studies show really clearly that it, it affects the way we feel. Like, so, so ex, you know, expansive- By shrinking our body. Is shrinking versus expanding. Affects the way, whether right. in a positive or- More expansive, more confident, and power, more powerful psychologically, you know, shrinking, less powerful, less yeah. confident. But what's interesting is that there, there are two meta-analyses. One of them shows that, that more of the effect is driven by the difference between neutral and expansive. The other one shows that more of the effect is driven by the difference between, you know, contractive and neutral. Mm. So I'm not, I, we, I, we still, 
In short, there's evidence that, that both of those things matter, but certainly neutral is better than contracting. Shrinking, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. contracting. Exactly. And it's probably, you know, even if you were doing a meditative breathing technique, if you're closing your body off and breathing, you're still probably limiting yourself. Yep. So you can be breathing and trying to relax the nervous system, but you're closing your body off. It's hard to feel like more alive and confident and calm, I'm assuming, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. It's funny. I once, this woman wrote to me, she said, um, I teach people public speaking and I had this student who was really stressed out, this man. And so I got into power pose for a minute and he said it made him feel worse. Really? And she said, but then... Then I watched that we watched the video. She, I, she said I, we, I videotaped him, and we watched the video. And I was like, "Were you breathing?" He said, "No, I didn't breathe. I held my breath the whole time." Oh my gosh! He's like, "Well, that's all not gonna work." Yeah, so you're now pass try out. You're and faint. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so he had been like completely still in this power pose, and she. I mean, she was laughing about it, but yeah. You have how to long? Breathe. How long should we be in an expansive? postural states uh, for you know it's funny i i really emphasized two minutes in the ted talk because yeah. that's what we had done in the in those first studies um i i think actually less is more like really? we've gone out to five minutes i think that I think that it just gets awkward. It's that, it's that, it's that <laughs> silly. Like, you feel weird, but also like your body get you get sort of stiff. So mm -hmm. I you know I just think it's I don't even think you have to be still. Mm -hmm. I think you can be moving in an expansive way. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's, it's the whole, I, I, I sometimes wish that I hadn't called this power posing because mm -hmm. it was so, it's such a sticky idea, right? Yes. It's got alliteration. Mm -hmm. It's great, like, great branding. you know, exact, exactly, great branding. exactly. But, but at the same time, people got fixed on, on like standing like Wonder Woman mm -hmm. or in the victory pose. And it's not, it's being expansive is more expansive than, than this. Yes. You know, it's, it's in whatever way works for you. Yeah, the tighter you are, the probably less likely you'll perform relaxed. Right. And in football training before games and in practices, they would always tell us to be loose. You yeah. know, to move our body, to be flexible, to be expansive, but in a loose state of mind, mm -hmm. in a loose body, not like rigid or you can't catch the ball if you're like too tight. So it's how can you be expansive, confident, and relaxed at the same time? Yeah. And practicing that in life with the power poses, I think is great. Yeah. And Ted Lasso, she did a great, she was like, ah, right? she oh like a gosh. monster pose or something. It was I awesome. think she was like. It's amazing, she yeah. She made this facial expression that I thought was great. She's a great actor as yeah, well. She's so, I wonder if that was like, so if, like, if they were like, just do a power pose and cuff, she made yeah, it up. She probably did. I, I just feel like. Was, she was great. She was so great. Good. When, um, was there ever a time where you didn't implement this strategy and you realized, oh, I had, I could I should have done I could have done better had I done this, but I just thought I'd had it figured out. Um, only you know it's fun. so I really love public speaking, and I yeah. it doesn't. It's like my favorite professional thing to do. Yeah. It doesn't make me nervous. Um, That's good. So, for me, I think a lot of people assume that speaking is the thing that makes everyone nervous. So for me, it's not. It's not that. What makes you nervous? Um. You know, interpersonal conflict, like one-on-one, -on -one, or um, I get nervous in like smaller groups. Mm. I, I don't. Isn't that interesting? Like yes. five or ten people. I like feel the same way. Like talking to three people, I find much more stressful. Yeah. Than talking to you know three thousand people. Um, so I don't like to sit in a room for a long time before I'm going to get up and talk to people. 
I don't want to sit there mm. in a cold room. These rooms are often cold. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're going like this and you're totally sort of stiff. Yeah. And then you get up and you're like, ooh. So I've, I had that experience enough times to learn I need to be moving around. I need to be warm, mm-hmm. not cold, mm-hmm. and, uh, and come in sort of, you know, right before I get up to present or yes. to discuss. So, yes, I've had the experience of being still and kind of, you know, hunched up for too right. long. So we've, talk, we've got the affirmations we talked about, self-affirmation, uh, affirming who you are, not just making up lies about yourself. Right. We've got, what's the actual technical term now? Not power posing, it's I don't, I mean, I call postural, it postural feedback. Postural feedback. Right. And I think the idea is just to keep in mind your posture is, is sent, it, like th- there is feedback yes. um, to your nervous system telling you either you're, you know, I'm safe or I'm not safe. That's it's kind of that simple. Like yeah. you're safe or you're not safe. It's interesting. I learned a technique 11, 12 years ago, about 2009, when I got into the business world and I started going to events and conferences and networking events. I remember feeling like I'm a nobody. I'm this young kid who was just playing football. I still didn't have a college degree. I was 24. Uh, and going into a room with all these professionals and executives. So yeah. I was like, why would anyone talk to me? Kind of had this feeling early on. Right. And I learned from someone, he said, every time you walk into a door, just act like you're trying to connect the top of your head to the door. And just walk in oh, yeah. and stand. Like every time you see a door at any time in your life, just yeah. practice you're walking, you're entering a room just with your, you don't have to put your chest all the way out like crazy. But right, exactly. Shoulders back just a little bit, your head just a little bit taller, like you're trying to touch the top. Absolutely. And, just, and he said, walk in with a smile. Yeah. And every time I do that, I practice it just all the time now. It's like it just makes you feel a little bit better, more courageous to actually say hi to someone. A smile, a little taller, your shoulders back just a little bit. Yeah. It really helps with that. Um, So it's something that I learned early on that helped me kind of just gain courage. Well, it's, you know, in in ballet, it's, you know, it's very much like imagining like a string, right? But, But another technique that I think, works really well for me uh, that I learned in ballet is lo- you're looking at the people in the balcony uh-huh. and and that opens you up yes. right and it also makes you more aware of of this interaction and there's also kind of magic and chemistry in the interaction mm-hmm. right you're not alone yeah. and that that that's a whole other yeah well, not a whole <laughs> other thing but it's you know that like that, that ability to be present with people sure. is is like um it feeds on itself, right? Yes. Like you become, the energy level picks up more and more, the more you can build that intimacy with mm-hmm. an audience. And so by opening up to them, you're much more likely to create that intimacy. Yeah. And so, okay, so we've got the self-affirmation to self. We've got the postural feedback. If we can start implementing these strategies. Yep, I got another one. Give me another one. All right. Um, I love this one. So this was uh, research done by um, a woman named Alison Woodbrooks, who's at Harvard Business School, she's a professor, and she was like a wedding singer before she went to grad school. Okay. And she just didn't get nervous. And she was really interested <laughs> in stage fright. Like she was like, why do, I know it's kind of funny, she's like, this isn't hard for me, why is it hard for you? No, but she's, right. she's very confident, but she was really interested in stage fright. And she realized And learning that, why people have stage fright. Right, and she she's a very it. positive yeah. person. And I think that what happened, and I, I I don't want to like, tell her story for her, but I, my understanding is basically that she realized that for her, the nerves, the, the okay, so basically emotions have 
two dimensions, arousal level, mm-hmm. like it's a high it's arousal like or a low arousal, and the fear, right? right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And positive negative. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's more than that. Yes. But like, think of it, those are the two dimensions and emotions can be clustered around those. So she realized that she was having the same high arousal um, feeling in her body before she sang. But for her, she interpreted it as excitement, not, not fear, anxiety. Not, yeah. And so she realized that it's not that she really was having it a totally different experience. It's just that she was like, I must be excited to do this. It's the interpretation. Exactly. So she did experiments. Um, she had people do singing contests using like, uh, what was the video game? Rockstar? Was it Rockstar? What Might was it have called? been Rockstar, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, she had them do like debate competitions. Huh. I think they did a math test, maybe different studies. But she, ha- she assigned them to say to themselves before they did the, the thing, I am anxious or I am excited. Mm. And the people who said I am excited just said I am excited to myself. They did much better. Yes. So she calls that reinterpreting anxiety as excitement. Wow. So reframe it. Like so before you go on, her name is Allison Wood Brooks, hyphenated. Okay. And yeah, so anxiety is ex- reframe anxiety as excitement. And this is definitely one of my fa- favorites and I think um I think that that, that helps a lot of people. The other one is I love that. Yeah. kind of related a bit is is that a lot of times when we go into these stressful interpersonal situations where we know we're being evaluated mm-hmm. and where the stakes feel high. So like a job interview or or giving a talk or speaking in class or teaching, whatever. It get the dread leads us also to interpret other people to see them as potential predators, as people who don't want us to do well. Yes. And the thing is, mostly in life, people actually want other people to do well. Yes, there's schadenfreude. We sometimes like to see somebody fail, right? Right. But for the most part, people are there because they they want to learn something. They yeah. want they want you to do well. And so, um, you know, it's not comfortable to watch people not doing well. And so when I started teaching at Harvard, um, I'd been, you know, I taught at Kellogg for a couple of years and you know, that's an intense place. It's a great sure. school, but there's something about Harvard Business School that has this reputation, you know, that the, and so I got there and I was like, I don't know, 32 or something. And, and no, I was, anyway, I was like mid thirties, yeah. not that much older than the students. Right. right, so right, right. I felt still like, like mm, and you could look like you could and be a I was, student. Yeah. You know, I'm not big and you know, blonde, <laughs> I'm a girl, right, all that stuff. Yes. So people were like, you cannot show weakness. Really? Like you cannot, a drop of blood in the water, the sharks will come in for the kill. That's so bad, that was huh? sort of, that's what I was told. Right. And so I prepared like crazy for that first class. For these 18 year olds, you mean? Well, no, no, they're like 20. This Grad is HBS. Students. So they're, okay, like, they're like 28. Okay. Got you. They're pretty smart. They're right, pretty right, accomplished. Right. Like They've they already accomplished in, you know? stuff exactly. in their life and they're bit, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I really prepared like mm-hmm. crazy, but I realized that I was approaching it with this, like as a warrior, and like, first wow. of all, that's not who I am. Right. And second, the roller like, skating warrior. Yeah, exactly. The roller skating deadhead warrior. Yeah, exactly. Right. I I like people. Yeah. You know. So I'm like, why why would I assume that they are looking for me to fail? That they're like sniffing blood. That doesn't make sense. They paid a lot of money to go to here. Learn. They work like crazy to get in here. They want to have a good experience, not a bad experience. So I decided to go in 
with blind trust, mm. like blindly trusting them and not try to sort of fake this, um, you know, badass, <laughs> you know, personality that isn't who I am. Instead to go in and be who I am, assume they want me to do well. And so I went in on the first day and I said to them, here's what I've done. Here's what I love doing. You know, I've not done this before. And I'm a little nervous about this, but I think that we are all in this together and I think we want to have a good experience. So just kind of letting you know where I am. And I feel I'm, I'm in touch with so many of the students from that year, that, that first year. I think... Was this pre-TED Talk? It, yeah, it was like a year or two before. Okay. A couple, three years maybe before my TED talk. And that really taught me that if, if I trust them, they mm. give it back to me, mm. right? You build trust. So I go in with blind trust. I mean, if you think about like in life, you can either in these situations trust or not trust. Like which, which mistake would you rather be, make? Would you rather trust and be, and be wrong or not trust and be wrong? Like, I'd rather trust and be wrong. Mm -hmm. Usually it's not that dangerous. Right. I mean, there are some situations where you probably shouldn't trust, but <clears throat> I'm talking about just like average situations. Why not just trust and occasionally you'd be wrong and somebody actually isn't. Right. Right? You know? They, they like, humiliate you or they are not. But, whatever, but it, you move totally. on. Totally. But if you go in and you don't trust anybody, nothing good comes of that. Mm -hmm. if, they're, if they're trustworthy, you're not going to build a relationship with them. If they're untrustworthy, you're not going to build a relationship with them anyway. I would yeah. just rather make the, that the error of over-trusting over than under-trusting. Wow, that's cool. What did you learn from that first year uh, of teaching at the, the crazy shark First school? of all, they're yeah. not. They're, they're people just like everybody yeah. else. Like they've got insecurities too. And, yeah. and you know, like 75 to 85% of HBS students at some time feel imposter syndrome. Like they're insecure as well. Like, I mean, I don't, they're, they're no more insecure, but they've got the same stuff that they're yes. dealing with. And, I, you know, there are a lot of like really wonderful people in there. And sure. the more they, the more you give them trust, and, and get it back, the more they're building trust with each other. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I just learned to go into every audience and assume that they want me to do well. That's good. And that, of all of the things, it's funny, because my, my son, um, you know, he gets performance anxiety, like mm -hmm. probably every musician. And it's funny, because people aren't like, are always like, can't you, like, this is your thing. I mean, to me, they're like, how does your son have any performance? Like, well, he's human, but also <laughs> I'm his mom, right? Yeah. So it's not easy to learn this stuff from your mom. Of course. Um, but that's the one that works the best for him. I said, why, why would you go in to a performance situation, a musical performance situation, and assume they want you to fail? They don't want you to fail. They, they want, want to see you they do well. They want to be there. They want to they be really there. want to be there, right? Yeah. Exactly. So he says that's the one that helps him the most. And just having that thought in your mind before you enter that they exactly. want the best for me. They want to have a good time. Yeah. Something I was nervous for a long time was public speaking. And I did, I did a social challenge for myself where every week I went to Toastmasters. Yeah. And the first week I wrote out word for word my five-minute speech, which was called an icebreaker. Yeah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Toastmasters or if you've been before. Yeah. And I remember saying to myself, I prepared for two weeks for a five-minute speech. I was so terrified. Yeah. Again, I was 24, um, going into a room of really great speakers who were all much older than me, executives, you know, professional speakers. And I chose that one. I went to five different Toastmasters clubs in Columbus, Ohio, 
And I chose that one because it was the scariest for me. Ah, uh, that's And I was like, I don't want to go to the easy place. I want to go to a place that's going to really like challenge me. And it terrified me. I remember I wrote it out word for word and I practiced it for a couple of weeks and I could not look up the first time. I had to stay here like looking here word for word and dripping sweat, just humiliated and embarrassed. But luckily, they're there to give you positive feedback. Right. Not, it's not a bad crowd. Right, they are. That's true. It's not like I'm putting myself in front of you know, critics that are really going to make me feel bad. They're there to say, you know, here's what you did well. Here's what you can do better next time. Um, but I did that for a year until I felt like I had the confidence and I could go out and get paid to do it. And for years, I would go speak in front of big audiences and get paid well, but I still had a little bit of nerves. And mm -hmm. I was like, why have I not gotten rid of this? Mm -hmm. And I called one of my coaches. This was probably like five years ago. I called one of my coaches and I said, I don't know why I'm still nervous before these events. I've been doing this for so long. I shouldn't be. I'm now beating myself up. I shouldn't be nervous right. now. And he said, the reason you're nervous is because you're still worried about what people think about you. You're still thinking of you like making sure you remember that joke or making sure you're funny here or you don't mess up or uh, what if yeah. I forget this thing? You're thinking about that's, that's the, that. That's the distraction, right? And he was like, if you just put your attention, attention on how can I be of service knowing I'm not gonna be perfect? How can I help and add value and entertain or educate knowing I'm gonna forget a joke or knowing yes. that the pause isn't gonna be there or knowing that I'm gonna stutter? Just let it go and uh, just be of, be of service. And when I came from that place, I was like, I'm just gonna serve. And I know I'm not going to be perfect. I love that. And that has helped me let go of those nerves. I still feel like, you know, the excitement feeling. Yeah. But it's more like, okay, every time I feel like I'm nervous or anxious, this is all about service. Yeah. And my friend Rory Vaden says it's hard to be nervous when your heart's on service. That's so true. I and love so I that. just give your heart to the audience. That's, you know? that's the sort of, I mean, it's very related to this trust piece, yes. right? Like they, they want to get something out of this. Yes. Um, that made me think of two things. Uh, one was that I, I once asked the the person at, at HBS who I thought was like the best teacher. Mm -hmm. I said to her, "When did she, when did you realize that you um, like that you were? It's clear that she knows she's really good at this, right? Like, how, when did you realize that?" And she said, "I went from being a good teacher to a great teacher. The moment that I stopped." thinking about what they were thinking of me Ooh. and started just thinking about what they were thinking. Ooh. Right, so I cared about what they, what, what, what like I, I started watching their faces. Were they confused oh. about something that I said? Like, like n n so it wasn't about me, it was about the content. Yes. And helping them to learn. Yeah. And I thought that was really good. You That's know, stop cool. thinking about what they're thinking of you and start thinking about what they're thinking. Why is that so hard for us to do in general? Well, I mean, it's back to that social rejection the piece. Like yeah, it's yeah. Because we're environmentally, like, I mean, sorry, evolutionarily attuned to looking for signals that we're gonna get kicked out. Right. And I, I, I don't know why we're still like that, you know? I, and I don't know of a culture where people aren't like that. You yeah. know, it's, it's not like I can think of a society where people aren't, don't have that happening. Yeah. So that was one thing you said you were gonna say. Do you remember the second thing? No, <laughs> That, 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 was great. that was a great example. Oh, no, I did remember, actually. It's that people love... Okay, so the best performances are performances that have never happened before and will never happen again. Mm. So in front of a live audience. Like, when you go see... A sh part of why I love The Dead, The Grateful Dead, The Dead and Company, mm -hmm. is because they have never played the same show twice. Like, yeah. every single show thousands of shows is completely different. They've never played the same set, set list, list for the entire set list twice. 
They ever. always change it. Never. Yes. Wow. And it might be one song different and replaced, but no, they always... no, it's it's really mixed up. Really? Like it's really changed, That's and there cool. are all these jams in between. So I mean, they, there are just no two shows that are even close to being identical. That's cool. And that's part of what people love about it. They don't, yes, sometimes sometimes they forget the lyrics. <laughs> but that's because they've got like, you know, 500 songs so in their catalog, songs. right? Wow. So, but nobody cares. In fact, like last year, I mean, sorry, last night at Chula Vista, Bob Weir forgot the lyrics. It, it, no way. It, it just like for a minute. And people loved it. The yeah. crowd like roared. They love that. They're cheering him on to remember it again. Yeah, again. and it's just like, you're real. You're here with us. You are being here with us. So I always say, give people an experience that has never happened before and that mm -hmm. will never happen again. That doesn't mean you have to rewrite a completely new speech, mm -hmm. but know that audience, know who they are, um, and do, don't be over-scripted. You know, people want it to be a bit raw. Yes. And, you know, they remember the performance where somebody, you know, dropped their guitar pick and had to pick and didn't mm -hmm. have another one, or that's, it's like, I got to see that thing. Yeah, the mic went out and you had to scream exactly, or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. That's cool. um, so I think that making mistakes actually is is not only not bad, but it's it makes you more human and relatable. More interesting. More interesting, right? And more yeah. memorable for exactly. sure. More mem more memorable. Identity came to my mind just now, um, and I'm curious about your research or just your personal findings on shaping our own identity with ourselves, shaping our identity, having an identity, mm -hmm. and how that helps us, how that either helps us or hurts us with our confidence and our personal power. Well, I mean, there's so many different kinds of I identities that we can have. I, I think that when we get, I mean, there's... Like, there's is, it, a, is it important to have a specific type of identity? Is it, is it important to have a a wide range of identities, the things that we're into. Like, tell me what kind of identity you're talking like, about. Like uh, an identity is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man from Ohio. I grew up in Ohio. Okay. I, you know, I love football. Right. I, okay, okay. you know, I love, you know, all these different things that are likes, interests, and I, we identify as. Well, I think that we like the the self affirmation stuff is all about values, uh -huh. right? And so your identity, like your identity, is your values, and that I think is is great. Um, being true to your values is, is great. The values I'm talking about are not values that need to be flexible. They can be wide, yes. right? But I think that when we get really identified with a certain group or interest, it can get dangerous. I mean, mm. I think first we stop thinking for ourselves and we start becoming much more, much more concerned about re remaining part of the group mm. than about our values, our personal values. Exactly, and so we compromise ourselves to be in the group, and and hmm. I think that that can be really dangerous. Like we're losing our sense of agency for sure, but also you know might be doing things that are are not are not good, right? Like not healthy for us or for other people. So that that I think can be. I think we need to stay in check around around identity in that way. Just because it's what most people in the group are doing doesn't mean it's what I need to be doing. What is something we can do, I guess, to reflect on or give ourselves feedback on on a you know yearly or monthly or daily basis that's that supports that? I think it I, I and this is not empirical. I'm just this is yeah. a kind of off the cuff, but I've been thinking about this a little bit lately. Like you know, thinking about what are my identity groups that I chose. Like what are the what are my chosen identity groups? And you know, are there things that have happened in those identity groups that I don't agree with, mm. but I where I didn't do anything to correct it, or I, 
I kind of let it slide. Like, how can I keep myself, how can I keep myself honest about these identity groups? Right. You know, so, so. Because you may like, you may like the, the, you know, the Grateful Dead. Right. But there may be things that happen at the concerts that you don't acknowledge or you don't like. But yes, exactly. you don't want to be, well, I'm never going to watch her or support the Grateful Dead again because this happened. That's right. But how can I make sure, yeah, I can so, enjoy a hobby and an interest, totally. but not be the identity of that thing. That's right. And, and, and yeah. And so, so I think that, yeah, there are things that happen at, at, uh, at shows that I, you know, haven't been liking lately. Yeah. Like, you know, we talked about this a bit, like people being very territorial mm-hmm. in the front space, which is called the pit you know, about their space and being really nasty to each other. And it kind of goes against, to me, the, the whole sort of essence of that community. Um, and I get angry about it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I, but part of it feels like righteous anger. Like, I, I want you to not be that way, but I also need to check myself. Like, I don't want to contribute to the anger either. Um, but it also doesn't, like, because it's imperfect, doesn't mean that I have to leave it. Yeah. Right, because right. I, I get into the I, I get into that trap sometimes. Really? I, I sort of get into the like, oh, oh, there's something wrong. I probably shouldn't do this anymore, and I, I need to accept that nothing's perfect, and and I'm still allowed to love imperfect things, as long as I'm checking myself. Right. right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes I feel sense. Like I kind of, no, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. There's the, um, we talked about this a little bit earlier about the kind of fake it till you make it thing, but it's more of like facing it till you make it, I think is what how you reframe it, right? I it's, say fake it till you become it. Fake it till you become it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's hard to, well, it's, what, you know, why is fake it till you make it harmful? If it's like, well, let me just keep faking and hopefully it'll, it'll happen. I think the problem, I mean, and it depends on how people interpret it, yes. I realize, but the way I interpret fake it till you make it is kind of like, you know, sort of, you know, the the slick salesperson who like really does not buy what they're selling, but they're gonna sell right, hard. Right, right, right. Um, and and never and they're going to be faking that they will yeah, that making it might be, you know, being promoted or making a lot of money, uh-huh. but they're 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 still faking it. Right. You you don't really ever faking it till you make it means faking it getting the promotion and continuing to fake, to fake it, it yeah. right? Fake it till you become it. And it's, it's also about what you're conveying to other people. Faking it till you become it, the way that I think of this, is you're, you're tricking yourself into believing in yourself, right? You're tricking yourself into, you know, a, like incrementally um, uh, be a little bit more courageous. Every time, yeah. And eventually you become the person that you are in your mind's eye as your best self, mm-hmm. right? So you're not becoming, you're basically, it's like, I kind of think of it visually like, you, you know, you're this, you know, we're not, we're not just shells, but think of yourself as a shell and you're sort of half full, you know, faking it till you become it is sort of filling that, filling mm-hmm. that shell more and more and more. You're partially, you're right, partially, exactly. but you're not fully you're getting yet. there. Because imposter syndrome is a, is a term that's been thrown around a lot in the last couple of years. Yeah. I'm hearing it all the time. Everyone's saying, not everyone, but a lot of people are saying, I feel a sense of imposter syndrome, like I don't belong, or I'm not ready, or I don't have the, whatever. Right. Um, for me, I have, I felt like I had nothing at the beginning, and I was just like, I'm just going to throw myself in, and if it works, great, and if it doesn't, I have... I have nothing to embarrass myself because I had nothing. I was living on my sister's couch for a year and a half. I had no money. I didn't have a college degree. 
So I was like, there's nowhere else I can go that's worse than where I'm at. Yeah. I didn't have anything to lose. Yeah. I was just like, I have nothing to lose. So I'm going to throw myself in there and hopefully certain things happen. So I didn't feel like an imposter. I felt like I'm an experience and I need to figure out how to gain experience by learning skills, by finding mentors, by reading, by consuming content and, and developing more confidence. Um, but why has imposter syndrome been, become such a popular phrase? Uh, and is there a way to actually overcome it? Or are we always going to kind of feel like imposters if we're constantly growing? Because yes. there's a new thing that next year that I've never done that I'm going to try to do that I'm an imposter because yes. I've never done it. So yeah. I'm going to feel a sense of Oh, well, I've never done this, so here we go. If yeah. I'm growing as an individual, right? Well, it's We should always feel it in a uh, sense. Definitely. So, I think okay, to the the question about well, I don't know why it became it, it, it it's again, it's a it's a catchy, it's a sticky, yes. it's a sticky um, term to describe an experience that's pretty pretty universal. Mm -hmm. And so it it became it's funny because it's it's to social psychologists, it's like a thing that's we've talked about since the 1970s. Mm. Um, not that I was talking much in the 1970s, but <laughs> but it, you know that it was coined in the 1970s, and it's so in in academia it's something we talk about, but it really got sticky in the last mm -hmm. like you know I I do think that like I that I talk about it in the TED talk I think that was part of it I think there were some other books that came out that yes. were talking about it, and and it it just captures the experience so well of feeling like an imposter in your own life mm -hmm. right, but the interesting thing is that it's. Well, first, the woman who coined the term, Pauline Clance, um, who was teaching at Oberlin at the time, in the really? 70s. In Ohio. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, Ohio. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> she... My identity. identity. My identity. Exactly. <laughs> so she, well, first of all, she said, she says that she, she, wish, she wishes she had not called it a syndrome, mm. because a syndrome implies that it's pathological, and rare, like it's unusual, and it's actually so not unusual. It's common, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the, the, like, you know, there are different estimates, like 75 to 85% of people feel imposter syndrome. Also, women do not experience it more than men. Uh -huh. Men are just more, less likely to openly talk about it. Yeah. So when it's anonymous, which is a burden, I think and then they hold men, on to it because yeah, they yeah. think they're the only ones feeling it. Yes, they feel alone. And then that, women yeah. get the burden of being like, oh, you always feel like imposters, right? So it cuts both ways mm -hmm. in bad ways. But you're, I don't think many people stop feeling it if they keep on trying new challenges. Yes. So in my book, I interviewed Neil Gaiman, the mm -hmm. amazing author of you know many, 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 many bestsellers and and um, you know super award winner. Yeah. And um, anyway, Neil uh, really had bad advice. Part of why I interviewed Neil is he's a lovely human, but. He's one of the only men who talked openly about having imposter syndrome. And so I wanted to talk to him for that reason. Um, also, he has a way with words, but he said that in the beginning, when he first started writing and was successful, he kept being afraid that somebody was going to come and tap him on the shoulder and, and be like, um, are you Neil Gaiman? And he'd say, yes, I am. Say, oh, sorry, you know, we made a mistake. Oh, wow. You know, we're taking all this back. And... And then he, he said he finally got to the point, he'd written American Gods, mm -hmm. which was like his big novel, he said. Like that was the big grand novel. And he said he thought he'd finally conquered imposter syndrome. And he spoke to one of his mentors and, and said, I think I finally conquered this. And he said, 
um, you never, he, I finally conquered writing a novel. And he said, mm -hmm. you never conquer writing a novel. You just conquer writing the novel that you're writing. Mm -hmm. Like, and so, so, so next time, so you know, now a lot of his books have been turned into really wonderful television series yeah. and he's a showrunner, mm -hmm. right? And that was a whole new thing for him. So right. he said, it's just, it just pops up. You see it on your desk. You're like, oh, there's the imposter and he'll go away. Mm -hmm. and, and so you, you keep, you experience it every time you start something new. It just goes away faster. You don't, you don't get hung up on it. Yeah. You don't become anxious about the imposter, the imposter feeling. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think the more you're living your life and creating and, and building, if you can start to reflect on like, look at all the times I was in a, feeling an imposter syndrome and look what I was able to create yeah. and the, the results I got and the success or the impact that I had from making this thing or creating right. this thing, I can do it again. Exactly. It's like looking backwards you, to see the results. Right. So you have this transferable sense of agency. Yes. Like self-efficacy is, I mean, the way it's defined in psychology is like it's, it's your feel, you know, it's, it's your belief that you're able to do this certain thing. Mm -hmm. Agency is wider than that. And this feeling of being agentic, like, and I think that when you conquer imposter syndrome again and again, you that feeling does become transferable, yes. right? And, and you, you're like, um, this is a totally new thing, but like, I've never been part of this rodeo, but I think I'm gonna be okay. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Right. You just know, okay, I've done this before many times, I can do it again. And if not, I'll be okay. I'll be all right, I'll, I'll survive. survive. Right, exactly. I'm curious, I'm a big believer that self-doubt is the killer of dreams. I mm -hmm. think when we doubt ourselves, we're not breathing correctly, we're shrinking, we're not taking any actions, we don't have the courage because we're just constantly in self-doubt. Do you think we can ever have too much self-belief? Um, I mean, geez, that's a tricky question. I, first, I, I think what you call self-doubt, I think of as personal powerlessness. Yes. And what happens is that it activates what we call the behavioral inhibition system. So it, it, it leads us to, you know, be more pessimistic, to be more fearful, to think more narrowly, less creatively, to not yes. take risks, to see people as predators, right? It, it, it inhibits us in every way. Even physically, like, it, like we can tolerate less pain when, when the inhibition system is Interesting, activated. really. Feeling personally powerful activates the behavioral approach system, which does all of the opposite. So it's like instead of seeing a challenge as a threat, we see it as an opportunity. Interesting. Instead of seeing other people as potential predators, we see them as potential allies and collaborators. Mm. You know, we feel optimistic instead of pessimistic. Now you could, you can get to the point of feeling you know, too powerful, right. and you know, in that case, I think that one of the things that that what we know that one of the things that happens is that people, they're, they're not as good at taking other people's perspectives. So they're not as good at perspective taking when they become real, like when, and but this is a lot about social power. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when people have both social power and personal power, they're not as good at taking other people's perspectives because they're, mean their feedback or their information or their ideas just or understanding what other people are like. So are feeling. It's, it's honestly, it's really more about social power as people gain social power, they're less dependent on others. And so that they're, when you're when you have not much social power, when you're at the bottom of the hierarchy, you really need to be able to read other people's minds. Like you really need to understand what they're thinking, because 
you're dependent on them. Mm. And as you gain more power, you're less dependent. And so you're more likely to stereotype people. You're, more, you're less likely to be able to take their perspective. You just kind of forget what it feels like mm -hmm. to be where they are. Yes. And so I think that's, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot of research on overconfidence versus confidence. And overconfidence is, um, I don't even really fully understand like where it comes from. And I don't, I, I, to me, I don't think it is overconfidence. I think it's a different thing altogether. It's like ego. Yes, yeah. or like arrogance, you yeah. know, it's an overconfidence, sorry, arrogance is often coming from a place of feeling threatened and defensive. Mm -hmm. And it's a smokescreen for insecurity, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah, I say it's a smokescreen for insecurity. And it's, right. it's, a, it's a way of deflecting. It's a way of preventing people from challenging you because, because honestly, they don't find you pleasant. They don't challenge you because they don't like you, not because they believe you, right? So, you know, I always say confidence, not arrogance. Confidence allows, allows room to be wrong. Mm. So you, 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 can, you can hear people. When you're confident, self-affirmed, you know who you are, you're able to hear feedback. You know, you don't yeah. feel like you have to ha steal the, the microphone all the time. Yeah, confidence plus curiosity. It's yeah, like being absolutely. willing to be, okay, I feel confident, but I also have a beginner's mind. Totally, and if you're confident and you, you're excited about an idea, you should want that to be as good as it can be. And so, you know, if you're around people who are offering you good feedback, confidence allows you to hear the feedback, Ooh. which I think is really interesting. Like, so I love watching Shark Tank. Yeah, it's great. I love reading the body language. I yes. miss, Jonah, my son, and I used to watch this like <laughs> when he was younger. He loves reading the body so, language so and good. guessing who's going to do well. And um, and I know you've talked to people about like yes. the body language of lying, and uh -huh. uh, you know, yeah. it is so fascinating. I I think like this body language of arrogance is is really you can um, read it, you can feel yeah. it. Yeah, and it's it's also you know body language is also nonverbal um, vocal cues, mm. like a certain way of speaking. And, mm -hmm. But it's, it's like, it's when they don't buy what they're selling. If you don't buy what you're selling, mm. nobody's gonna buy what you're selling. You know, if you don't believe your story, nobody's gonna believe your story. How Not do, at least in the long yeah. run. How do you learn to buy what you're selling? You, well, first of all, when people say, well, how do I, how do I sell something that I, I don't believe in? I say, don't. Don't sell it. You shouldn't be doing it. You, you, Go that's find a different vision. Think, yeah. Right? I mean, find you can try, career. but yeah. I don't think you should. You, you need to check in with yourself about that. Like, I, you yeah. know, the whole, like, it, for, okay, there are different reasons why we don't buy what we're selling. You could not buy what you're selling because um, you're actually self-doubt. You doubt your ability to sell anything. Okay. Right, and that's different than the the product or the vision. Right, that you have. or you you're it's just not interesting to you. It's not mm -hmm. something that you would use, but it's not that you think there's anything wrong with it. The, so there are a number of reasons that you you can fix. Right, you can you can learn to understand. Well, this product you know really is helpful and valuable to these other people, and I I need to understand their perspective. Right, that's that. That makes you a more effective, you know, salesperson. Yes. Um, but there are also reasons that should lead you to go. I shouldn't be selling it. Right. right? right so right. you need to figure out. Like, is it because I don't I don't relate to it, or I don't believe in myself, or is it because there's something wrong with this thing? Who are the people on Shark Tank that you see after their one or two minute pitch where you're like, they're gonna get someone interested? You know, if the numbers line up um, and everything works out, just based on their body language, their belief. It, 
What do they have in common where you're like, yes, I would invest in them? There is, well... Or I like them, you know. Okay, there, there are three kind of characteristics. Mm -hmm. The one, the first is that they believe, they just, you feel that they believe their story. That they just so deeply buy what they're selling. They really care about this. Yes. And it's with their body language. Sometimes they say it, and I'm not sure that helps when they like say like the, I mean, and I I don't think they're necessarily lying when they say it. Saying it isn't it, it, like it's you can just feel it. They convey it with their body language, their energy, their postural exactly. feedback, everything. Right. There, there's also um, they're confident and not arrogant, mm -hmm. and so they are open to feedback. They're not like this is the greatest thing in the world. Completely. Like the, yeah. the arrogance is just it. It just it kills the it kills the whole the all the energy. Nope. Why would the, a shark want to invest if you're clearly not open to feedback? If you think you have all the answers, right. and if you start conveying that right away, you're out. Yeah, why are you here in the first place? Right, yeah. so it's, you have to buy what you're selling and mm -hmm. convey that. You, you, have to, um, you have to be confident and not arrogant. Yes. And, and that is, like I said, you, you show your confidence through your openness, your willingness mm -hmm. to be open. It's not insecurity, it's not like, oh. I mean, if you don't, if you don't know the numbers, you're out. You do right. need to know the numbers. You need to know certain things. Mm -hmm. But you can't know everything. That's why you're there. Right, because you need support. Yeah. Totally. And the last thing is that their, their, um, their verbal and nonverbal language is synchronized. So what they're conveying with their words, the feelings they're conveying with their words match the feelings they're conveying with their body language. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you see somebody like, trying to, you know, demonstrate, like, deep care in an issue, but their the, body language just doesn't line up with it. They're crossing their arms, yeah, they're turned exactly. to the side or whatever, yeah. Yeah, it, or, or, um, or if they're trying to convey, um, I don't know, like, the, the, you know, confidence, but they're showing fear. Mm -hmm. it, that when, we, when we are, you know, fully present and just, you know, in, in it, that stuff becomes synchronized. We're not scripting our body language. We're bad at scripting our body language. Mm. We're best at scripting our words, second best at scripting our facial expressions-ish, but below the neck, we forget about it all. Like, I, you know, like people don't know what to do with their hands, for example, right? There was a 30 Rock episode yes, yes. about this. Yes, about well, not Will knowing Ferrell what to do. is just like that. He's like in the... I can't remember. I just remember there were so many... Yeah, there's a whole episode about yes. not being able, not knowing what to do with your hands. But, <laughs> pe and people really don't pay attention to what they're doing with their feet and their legs. Like, so I don't How know important you, is body language with the feet and the hands well, when it, building trust and confidence with others? It's funny. Have, have you ever had Joe Navarro on? No. Do you know who he is? Former FBI agent. He, I want to have him on, yes. You should. Yeah. He's great. He's such a character. I love Joe. He's a great guy also. But he, uh, he has many body language books, but one of them is called What Everybody is Saying, mm, which I love. Great. It's clever. And, you know, he really gets into the nitty-gritty, but he says one of the things as an FBI agent, I think he did like counterintelligence, was um, was to pay attention to people's feet. Like, so if they, if you're questioning, and I'm not saying that this is, and I I don't know what the, what the Actual empirical stats evidence fact, is, yeah, on it, yeah. but, but that like if somebody looks like, if their feet are turned away from you and they, like they want to run, He's paying attention to that. Mm -hmm. So he, like, if they're, but it's more if their feet are turned toward you and they don't seem afraid, he's more likely to believe them, 
right? Like if they, if they, they right, right. If but they're if not their feet, that's yeah. the asynchrony. Mm, hey, right? I'm if here, open like, body I'm position, fine, right? Exactly, yeah. and their feet are. T- so yeah, he thinks the feet are really important. More than the hands. Um, well, only because only because people are so unaware of what they're doing with their feet. So it's not that necessarily- You can necessarily, hide your hands, you can put them in your pocket, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're just not thinking at all that my feet are gonna give me away, which is wow. kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, he, but also I think there's really a, a lot of evidence that, that you know, that feet, you, being grounded mm-hmm. is, is really important to how you feel, right? So like, you know, walking around if you're speaking or something. On, I know this is like I'm kind of switching a bit here, but feet can really help you feel better. Mm. You know, not like sometimes people will stand with their ankles crossed or um, not totally balanced. Like, make sure that your feet, you feel that you're grounded and you feel that string, right? Yes. I have a friend uh, named Rachel Kassar who used to be a professional ballet dancer and a rhythmic gymnast, and she does body language training now. And she's really into the, that feeling of being grounded mm. and how much that helps you. Like, yes, you're connected to the ceiling, but you're also safe. You're, you're connected to the floor. Right. Like, you're not gonna fall through it. There's yeah. no trap door. You know, allow yourself to find energy in that right. feeling grounded. It's fascinating how, how many psychologists talk about body language the power of body language to just improve the quality of your life. I know Jordan Peterson, I think in his book, 12 Rules for Life, I think one of the first rules is... Sit up straight. Yeah, put your back straight. Yeah, I've heard that, Put your yeah. back up straight. Yeah. It's like the rule that's of life. The new, that's the whole just... Put your shoulders new, back. Neutral posture, right. Right? It's just like... But the funny thing about that you'll is... You'll have more confidence. You'll you'll get more opportunities. People will like you more. It's yeah. like... Yeah. I think that like the, 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 the funny thing about sit up straight is that you know a lot of us heard it as kids from grandparents. We resented it, right? It's like... But also, I think part of it was because we were told to do it out of, to show respect to others. Ah. And and the thing is, it's mm. actually more about showing respect to yourself. Ooh. Like, be self... You like that yeah, one? Yeah, it's good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sit up straight to respect yourself. Yes. And if you respect yourself, you're more likely to be able to respect others. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... it's um, you have to feel good about yourself to be able to treat others with sort of generosity and respect. That's true. So I think if we tell kids, well, you know, if you sit up straight, you know, you're gonna feel better about yourself. They're more likely to be open to that. You're gonna feel more confident, you're gonna love yourself exactly. more, you're gonna feel happier. Exactly. You're gonna have more to offer others as well. Right. When you right. respect yourself, like you said, you're gonna have more generosity, hopefully. Right. Or more So more the whole full. like sit up straight, you're being rude. If yeah. you don't sit up straight, you know, kids are like, well, then I'm just going to be rude. <laughs> so funny because, you know, the, the, our parents' story of make your bed in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, was something that I, oh, yeah. I never did until I actually went to a, a boarding school that was kind of similar. They, they graded you every morning in the dorm oh, uh, to make the bed. Was that like 638. School? It wasn't military, but it was like it was just a strict kind yeah. of boarding okay. school with rules and, you know, dress code <clears> and all that stuff. And I remember just like after that, when I went to college, I was like, I'm just gonna, you know, wake up and let the bed be messy. Yeah. And then when I got to, I think it was like in my late 20s, I was like, I just don't feel good when I come back and look at a messy space. Mm-hmm. Let me try this out. Let me just start making my bed every morning and just spending two minutes, even though it's kind of a hassle, like, let me do this so I can come back and just feel at peace in my, my resting space. Yeah. Not messy. Yeah. 
And I'm like, I wish I would have wrote the book, Make Your Bed, because that came out like five years later and it became like this massive speech and phenomenon. And I was I like, I know. what our moms told us growing up, you know, for me, I was like, this has got to be a routine. Every time I don't make the bed, I feel like I have a sloppier day. Yeah. I feel less productive. I feel less proud because I disrespected my sleeping space. Yes. Those little routines like that matter, really right? help. I mean, I mean, that's the, the whole thing about being sort of neat is is that that it's self-respecting mm-hmm. right and i mean it also i know there's yes it clears your mind right to not have to worry about clutter but i think the self-respect piece is a big part of it although for me i was like a i was like a, an ocd bed maker as a kid oh so you were like it wasn't good like people could <laughs> if somebody sat on it i'd be like you know, yeah it was weird i had you know a lot of kids have a can go through OCD periods and not have it as an adult, but I definitely had some weird. Do you still have it like as that. an adult? No. Okay. No. You can hug people and you can be messy. Sadly, and, yeah. I don't with the bed making. <laughs> yeah. Now you're messy bed. Yeah. But yeah. Now I'm, it's funny because to me, you know, being a grown up is about having freedom. You know, you're like, I want to do what I want to do now. Well, you know, it's like I have a lot of flexibility right now. Of and course. my son like called me the other day. It's like ten o'clock, and he's like are you still in bed? And he's, I'm like, yep. And he's like, why? And I'm like, cause I'm a grown up. Cause I can do what I want. Yeah, I can do what I want. Exactly. So funny. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's more of like, just what are the routines that are gonna help you be the optimized for that day and right. that season of life? Right. There's certainly months where I'm like, for sure. okay, I'm just gonna sleep in and I'm not gonna do what I wanna, you know, what I know I could do to be optimal performance. But that's the season where I need right now, yeah. rest recovery season. So it's it's being okay with that as well, and not being so militant like every moment. Which I think that's not helpful either. Yeah, you're too obsessed. No, to be for sure, I, absolutely. Got to hit every routine all the time and every minute. And yeah, like, absolutely. Wake up at the same. You know, that's a lot. They have to be your routines that work Ooh, for you. Yes. I was t- talking to a a friend of mine who was a an, Olymp- an Olympic skier and a na- national national champion in, in women's downhill. Lindsay Vaughn? No, but her name is Alex Bubbles. Okay. And she's a fascinating person because gotcha. she also, she had a second wave of fame. Mm. Um, I mean, so she was pre-downhill skiing getting a lot of attention, right? So that was like 98 to 2002 was like her era. Uh-huh. Um, her maiden name was Schaefer. So anyway, but her married name is Alex Wubbles. She became famous again about five years ago because she she is now an emergency room nurse and she was working at a hospital in Utah, the University of Utah, and a there was a there was a an ac- a car accident, there was a patient, she specialized in burn victims. He was badly burned, he was unconscious, and a, a police officer wanted a blood sample from him to see if he was he had alcohol in his system. Um, by the way, it turned out he did not, and it was the other person was drunk, wow. but really not the point. The point was that you cannot take a blood sample unless you have um, a, uh, a warrant is that, or verbal permission. Gotcha. And he, he, he was unconscious. He, right, so he couldn't give verbal permission, and they did not have the authority to do it. And she was defending this man, and, and um, Nobody else really was. I mean, they mm. they weren't they were they were kind of being bystanders, and she was doing exactly by the books what she was supposed to be doing. Her voice is shaking. She's clearly really 
scared and not it's getting on video support. Or something? It's, it's a, yeah, sorry, yeah, it's yeah. all on video. And this police officer eventually, um, he's just, this is this is not a statement about police officers. This is just an agitated guy, mm -hmm. okay? And yeah, yeah. who was just like, I'm gonna get this blood sample. Right. He throws her against the wall and handcuffs her. Oh my god! And throws her into his cruiser and arrests her. And she's screaming. It's like 90 degrees outside the window. It's it's a it's a really upsetting scene. Um, and mm. she absolutely did the right thing. So she became, you know, known as you know, people. Uh, as this super brave person, and wow. who, which she is, and I knew I wanted to interview her for my next book, and but I didn't know her. I'm giving a, a talk at the Association of Critical Care Nurses. It's like ten thousand people. It was. An, it happened to be in Boston, and I did. I think the longest book signing line of my life. Huh. Um, nurses really relate to this material. I think Grey's Anatomy has been on there five times, well, so I they think, watch. <laughs> I think that like there's a lot of power stuff yeah, going yeah. on in healthcare, it's, it's tough. And they're exhausted and anyway, yes. I did the signing line and there's one, and I, I was really tired. I, I loved signing lines, I love talking to people, but I was like exhausted from hugging hours, people. You're like, even, okay. you know, <laughs> it was It was a few hours and I, yeah. I um, there was one last person and, and she was with a man and the man walks over and as she approaches, I see who it is and he says, um, I don't know if you know who this is, and I just like, like wow. I started You're already crying. tired, yeah, yeah. She's crying. Like I knew exactly oh who it was. Gosh. We embraced. I mean, we just like held on to each other. And she's like, "You mean so much to me. Like you've helped. Your work has helped me so much." And I'm like, "I am such, you know, I'm such a fan of of you." Wow. And I wanted to reach out to you anyway. It was Alex Bubbles. I did not know at the time that she is. She was a an incredibly good skier, mm. you know, and national yeah. champion many times. And I I love skiing. Yes. Anyway, it turned out then we lived in Park City for seven months through the pandemic, uh, and and she lives very close by, and we've cool. got to be very close friends during that time. Anyway, oh, that's great. What's interesting is that she's a physically brave and socially brave person. Wow. Like to ski like that. Also, she's like the nicest person on earth. Like she gave us, she would give us ski lessons and be like, well, what do you want to achieve today? Like just for fun, you know? And like my husband wanted to get, be able to get his hips on the ground, you know? And she's like, oh, wow. we're going to make that wow. happen. And by the end of the day, she, and but she like, she cheers, for, you know, she's cheering for you. She's a great person. But I said, what is, like, what are the similarities? Um, you know, physically, like, you know, going down the mountain, you know, 70 miles per hour, and being brave in that situation. And she said for her, it's about like following her own kind of rule book. Mm -hmm. She said the best skiers are not skiers who who have like a one size, like take a one size fits all approach. Like, you know, um, you know, Lindsey Vaughn, you know, she she likes fashion, she likes style. Like, and people were really critical of that. And, yes. and and it's like, she's gotta be able to be who she is to be the best at what she does. Mm. Like, why are you bothered that she likes Ooh. to wear makeup and, and you know, have nice clothing? Why, why does that bother people? The more she was able to be who she was, the better skier she was. And Alex said it was the same for her. The more she was able to do it her way, and, and she had a coach who recognized that, like she could not, she needed an off day before, before um, races, and he, he was like, "Okay, I'm not gonna force you to race. Like, 
I realize that for you, you're going to perform better if you can do it that way. The bravery thing, there is, there's this, this, she said for me in that moment, I knew that like, I could not live with myself if I did not, like this was just the right thing to do. Yes. And, And I had no, she said, there was no question that I was going to do this. And and she said, I was following my rule book. She said, to me, that's what's important. Mm. I knew that that justice was important. Justice in this sense of, you know, protecting this man's, you know, sort of freedom. Mm. His rights. And she said, I, um, I, I just knew that. And I knew when I was skiing that I had to do it my way. And that allowed me to be, you know, brave and perform at my best. So I think that that's really important. You got to figure out like, what are your, again, it's back to like, what are your values? Mm-hmm. Like, and how can you be true to them? But she's just, yeah, she's pretty that's cool. wonderful. I feel like I could talk to you for another few hours, I but I want to, I want to bring us home here and right. we're going to have you back on when the book comes out God, and have you that. on for another long session <laughs> where we're both recovered from surgery and yes, I know. Gone, <laughs> for sure. um, I feel like I actually the pain has been going away throughout this. I Good. feel like earlier in the day the pain was heightening, but with you, I feel oh, like I've just so been sorry. so excited about learning this that this this information has been so powerful. I've got so many notes here. Oh, good. Uh, so I'm just excited to go back through all this stuff. Uh, this is a before I ask the final couple of questions. Again, I want to thank you, Amy, for being here. This is you're welcome. R- really inspiring. Thanks for I've heard, this work. heard so many great things about you from all mutual Likewise. friends over the years. Yes. So I'm glad we were able to make this work. How can we, before I ask the final questions, how can we be of support to you right now? Oh. What's the, what's the thing that we could do to? Thank you. Is there somewhere we can go on your, your oh, um, what social media? Are you most active on your website? Can we opt in for your newsletter? Can we get yeah. your books? Is there a speaking tour you're doing? What can we do? You know, follow me on social media. I'm on yes. um, LinkedIn for sure. Um, Is that your main place? It's funny. I have the most followers on LinkedIn. Okay, um, and I, I don't post that often because I, you know, I want to post like really good, like high sort of longer mm-hmm. high quality content on there um twitter instagram you know yes. keep up with me on social media amy cuddy everywhere right? and um yeah uh okay. and you know be I, I, like for me it's just like sort of be brave like mm. like that that would make me really happy and it's okay if you say like you know <laughs> um uh, you tag me when you do it like i want to i yes. want to see it happening yes. But, you know, when you see, for example, somebody being like bullied on social media, the way to handle that is not to attack the person attacking them. It's say something nice about them in the comments, Mm. like support them. It could be totally unrelated. Just say, you know, say you see something, somebody being, you know, trolled or whatever, and, and there's a pile on. Uh, because that that looks like the norm. So more and more people are doing it. Change the norm by being nice. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, um, so and so, you know, I really like that thing you shared last week, and this is how it helped me. And you'll, you'll, it's amazing what you'll see is more and more people will start being positive. Mm. That's a way of being brave. Like, be the one to make the first positive comment to turn things around. I love that. That would be, that would make me feel supported. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so if you're on Instagram, make sure to share this uh, and tag Amy. Again, Amy Cuddy over on Instagram, tagger uh, that you're watching this or listening to this over on YouTube. Leave a comment below. Leave something positive about this, the thing that you enjoyed the most about this over on YouTube as well. Um, okay, this is a question that I ask everyone at the end. It's called the three truths question. Okay. So it's a hypothetical question. 
All right. Imagine many years away, it's your last day on this mm -hmm. earth. You've lived as long as you want to live and you accomplish all the dreams and you have the life you want. Uh, but for whatever reason, everything you've ever created, your written word, this video content has to go somewhere else. It's not on this earth anymore. Okay. So it goes when you go. All right. Hypothetical. And the only thing you get to leave behind are three truths, three lessons that you've learned that you would share with the world. What would you say would be those three truths for you? Oh my gosh. Yes. Off the cuff. Oh my gosh, it's really hard. Um, the whole haters gonna hate mm. philosophy, like the idea that people are just, there are just bad people and, and people are just gonna be bad. Don't buy into that. Mm. It's like, just keep trying. That the, the, the only thing that makes that absolutely true, true is if we believe it's absolutely true. You know, so keep trying mm -hmm. to, be, to, to be a better person, to model better behavior, to be optimistic about people, to, 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 to have grace. Yes. That's the, I think that's the most important one. Okay, that's number one. Um, the second is, you know, um, you know I'm going to quote Maya Angelou, stand up straight and realize who you are, that you tower over your circumstances. So uh, I, th that is, again, Maya Angelou, not me, but I love that what it captures, which is carry yourself with a sense of pride and, you know, and, and, um, and self-respect, and you will become more self-respecting and you will treat others better. Yes, okay. Um, that's the second. Um, the third, I think, is like we just leave room for people to um, to be weird. Like <laughs> you know what? Let people let their freak flags fly. Yeah. Like don't put people in a box. Let people be different. Like appreciate it. Just just stop judging. Like do mm. your thing. Let your freak flag fly, and let other other people do the same thing. Like if they're being if they're not hurting other people, you know. I yeah. just I like give people space to be themselves. Absolutely. That's it. Those are powerful. I love those truths. <laughs> Um, before I ask the final question, Amy, I want to acknowledge you for all that you've done, all the research, all the work, all the giving back to serve people and helping them gain confidence. Thank you. And, and improve the quality of their life. Thank That's you. That's what my mission is with the School of Greatness is to help people improve the quality of their life. And it's to bring people on like yourself that I've been inspired by for a long time to teach what you know. You have this Thank information, you. this knowledge from deep research, practical experience, and teaching it to so many people that this audience could really uh, use. So I'm grateful for your consistent dedication. I'm grateful for you uh, being weird and starting to express that more on social media <laughs> in the you. world and accepting <laughs> that you know socially by posting the stuff that is unique to you, the things that you love, and and reminding us that we need to continue to be unique to ourselves as well and be willing to share that and uh, acknowledge you for the generosity you have with so many people. Again, I have so many mutual friends that say you're an incredible giver, really incredible, nice. <laughs> kind human being. Thank you. So I really acknowledge you for the impact you've made on my friends. Thanks. And uh, the person you've become. So I hope we, hopefully we can be friends after this and oh, have you absolutely. back on many times. And uh, I want to see you continue to, to to spread this message far and wide. So, Thank you so much. Yeah, what of a course. pleasure. Yeah, it's of been course. Great. Final question is, what's your definition of greatness? I think greatness is, it, it is a, it's, it, I think people might think of it as sort of about being the most, the, sort of the best, the most competent. 
I think it's a it's a combination of being yes your most sort of effective self, but also your most generous self. Mm. So greatness has to combine those two qualities, right? It's it's yeah. about it's about being both generous and and you know capable. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. And also make sure to share this with a friend and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts as well. I really love hearing feedback from you guys. So share a review over on Apple and let me know what part of this episode resonated with you the most. And if no one's told you lately, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you are matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.